0: Welcome to the Equip Cast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy
1: welcome to the Equipcast. My name is Jim Jansen. I'm the Director of Pastoral Services here for the Archdiocese of Omaha. I am joined today with uh, my regular co-host, Father Jeff Lorig, uh, Midtown Omaha. How you doing, Father?
0: Doing really well. I'm surprised you guys haven't fired me from this yet.
1: No, not not yet. Your contract is still good, and the salary that we negotiated on this, i.e. nothing, nothing. Uh, is, uh, is right. So...
0: And I think our downloads continue to increase month by month. This is our third, fourth month of increasing yeah. downloads. So thank you, everybody, for listening. It really is. It's amazing. I was just kind of sharing my joy with Whitney, our producer. I just like, wow, this is, I mean, it's, one, it's not huge numbers, but every month it grows. And it just really affirms that we're, I think we're doing a good job. And I, I can keep my, my job here a little bit longer. Yeah. I'm so always yeah. grateful to spend time with you guys.
1: Yeah, shout out! Thank you, those who've been listening and, and sharing this. If you were new and you would like to subscribe, you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms at EquipCast, all one word. You can find all of the show notes and our blog at equip.archomaha.org. Today we are well. We welcome back Andy Deka. Andy, how you doing?
2: Doing good. Excited to be a part of this.
1: Good. So we're in a uh, part two. Part two of a two part series on the clear path of discipleship. So, gentlemen, as we get started here, let's just kind of remind everybody what is a clear path of discipleship?
2: I would say a clear path is essentially a strategy that a parish uses in order to make missionary disciples.
1: Ooh, good. Okay. Father, why as a pastor would you want a clear path for discipleship in your parish?
0: Jesus gave a great commission to us, the Great Commission. He gave us a mission, a job make disciples. And so the question would be, do you have a strategy for making disciples, or is it sort of haphazard? So the clear path offers a organized strategy for making disciples.
1: That's awesome. I'll only add, as I was reflecting on this, I think the two words, right, clear path, starting with path, there is a process that souls generally go through in coming to know the Lord and in growing into their kind of full stature in Christ, right, as as St. Paul would say in Ephesians, in, in coming to Christian maturity. And we want the ministries and programs of our parish to lay out a path that helps facilitate that growth. So it's a path, but it also needs to be clear. It needs to be open and accessible so that the next steps are easy to find, they're easy to direct people to, and they're always available. You know, one of the most, I think, tragic things is oftentimes the ministries and programs that we have at our parishes, the languages, the cultures, the schedules aren't necessarily accessible to people. And so, you know, it's like, I've heard story after story of, you know, Pastor... Uh, welcoming people into the church in a beautiful Easter vigil, or joining someone as a you know, as a sponsor, only to have friends and family and others who uh, are not a part of the church, but they came to celebrate with their friend. There's like, wow, this is beautiful. Like, how how could I become Catholic? Or I think I'd like to join the church too. And the response after that, you know, beautiful April evening vigil is oh, yeah, we have a class for you. It starts in August. I'll see you then. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, We need to have a way where people can access us at any point of the journey and have a clear understanding of the next step in that journey. Yeah, and it's
2: it's not easy for, for people to self-diagnose where they're at in the journey. We tend to, to not know necessarily how far along we matured in our relationship with God. And to have the parish be able to set out that path for us and help us to understand what what next steps we can take to grow in a relationship with God
0: can be very helpful. It's also important to acknowledge that there's an infancy involved in being a Christian and a maturing that does happen, like as, as you referred to, Jim. But it's yeah. really straight out of Ephesians 4, again, where we get our phrase, equip the saints for the work of ministry. It just says, and he gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the extent of the full stature of Christ so that we may no longer be infants. Yeah, by waves and swept along by every wind of teaching arising from human trickery, blah, 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 all that good stuff. But clearly in Scripture, in St. Paul in the early church, it was just talking about we need to continue to grow in our faith, and we need a path for that.
1: Well, and if we're honest, oftentimes our faith communities stay stagnant as spiritual nurseries. And it doesn't matter whether you're 80 or whether you're 18, we're all called to this maturity in Christ. But sometimes we never grow and develop and join Christ, discover our own apostolate, to sometimes that never happens. And we're not supposed to be running spiritual nurseries. You know, we're we're actually supposed to be maturing people.
0: But you also wouldn't want to give baby food to adults, and you wouldn't want to give adult food to babies. And so you have to have this path of growth.
1: Yeah, exactly. So for the sake of those who are joining us, this is part two, of a two-part series on A Clear Path of Discipleship. If you would like to access part number one, it is episode number 28. Again, Equipcast, all one word, episode number 28. Guys, what did we cover last time? We covered the first two parts of The Clear Path of Discipleship. Uh, What what would those be? Andy, do you wanna give us kind of a reminder there?
2: Yes, we talked about relational outreach, which is really asking the question, how can a person experience real friendship, experience belonging, through our parish before they're even ready to become Catholic? Are there ways that a person can do that? And then the second step being conversion engine, which is how does our parish proclaim the basic message of Jesus and help people to encounter Jesus so they can say yes to him and and follow him as a disciple?
1: And we actually have a whole episode specifically on the topic of conversion engines because the programming and ministries around that have gained, I think, a lot of attention as people are now aware that there's there's a need for our parish communities to be missional, to be proclaiming the gospel. If you're interested in that, episode number 19, it's called Start Your Engines. Uh, it's all about conversion engines. Again, that's episode number 19, takes a deep dive into conversion engines. Today, though, we're going to go into the next two steps of what a clear path looks like. Andy, give us a quick overview. What 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 are our next two steps? And then let's start to break those down. So once
2: someone has a conversion through your conversion engine, they begin to have a relationship with Jesus. The next step is discipleship formation. How is that person growing as a disciple? How are they establishing a life of prayer, a life of reliance on the sacraments, growth in virtue, growth in community? And then after that, missionary initiative. How are people awakening to the, the mission of Jesus? That, you know, a person has a conversion to follow Jesus. They want to grow closer to him, but they realize at a certain point, in order to grow closer to Jesus, I actually need to partake in his mission.
1: Yeah. He never says, come follow me without also saying, and I will make you fishers of men. So let's dive in a little deeper here. Talk about this discipleship formation. You gave us just like a little summary. What is it? What is this discipleship formation you're talking about?
2: I think really it's following Jesus more closely, letting his life be present in us the whole paschal mystery right the life death resurrection of jesus becoming present in our life as we continue to model our lives on jesus so it's a it's a continual growth it's a continual dying to ourselves and that's something that's that's done in community and it, it flows from our encounter with jesus as we begin to love god more love our neighbors more
1: Okay. So is it fair to say that it's catechesis, that it's, you know, classes and kind of the intellectual formation where people start to learn about the content of the faith? Yeah, I think that's right.
2: I like to think of, I think it was Frank Sheed who said something to the effect of love seeks knowledge that it may better love. So when a person has an encounter with Jesus, they have an initial experience of love, of being loved by God. And that experience leads them to know more intimately the one who's loving them. So that's the full content of our faith, the full riches of our faith to know God in prayer. And mm-hmm. that's, that can't be just for the sake of an intellectual knowledge alone, but that knowledge is for the purpose of greater love, of loving God more, of loving our neighbor more.
0: Yeah. So oftentimes people, when they have that encounter with Jesus, they want more. Tell me more. It's like when you fall in love with, with somebody. I, I used to do that when I was a kid, you know, fall in love <laughs> uh, in high school about every week. Uh, Think, you, you know, it's just, you're attracted, you want more, and, and then somebody shows you a little love back, and like you just want to deepen that. So that's usually mm-hmm. what happens. I just remember somebody at the Divine Renovation Conference uh, a couple years ago sh- sharing the story of going through Alpha, like somebody who was really just not hungry at all for God, but yeah, had, had sort of a sense maybe that he should try alpha like didn't go to church had left church long long many years before but kept driving past saint benedict and then somebody mm-hmm. invited him relational outreach why don't you try alpha just try it one for one night then he kept driving by and like okay i'm gonna do it so he goes in there you know he goes he has the classes whatever it's all good and and then the holy spirit comes during the holy spirit part of alpha filled mm-hmm. with holy spirit and just all the woundedness from his past just not not all healed in one moment, but like just begin to be healed, just a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. And then he wanted more. And so the next thing he did, uh, besides quitting smoking, which is kind of an amazing miracle unto itself, but he read the whole catechism. I mean, he's not a theologian or anything. He's just like, oh, I want more of this. I can't get enough.
1: Oh my gosh. Father, I love that story because I think it illustrates, I mean, just my heart goes out to our teachers who are listening, our catechists, our youth ministers, who have the exact opposite experience, (laughs) right? They love the Lord. They love the content and the topics of of our faith, and it falls on deaf ears. Nobody wants it. And I want to say to those of you who are listening right now, it's not your fault. It's just that the steps are out of order, they have to fall in love first. They have to have an encounter. And once they have an encounter, you will not be able to keep them away. You won't be force-feeding them anymore.
0: Yeah. So here at St. Joan of Arc, it's 74th and Haskell, where you can experience 24-7 Exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. A little shout-out for a little parish here in Midtown. We have a little school here, and we opted to not participate in Evangelium institute
1: little more context for everybody it's a formation time for the catholic school faculty right
0: yeah and so it's kind of a big cookie cutter you know like here's this thing it's this one program and they try to switch it up so that it, it kind of meets people where they're at but oftentimes it's really difficult how I many how do you do it? like people are across, even our catholic school teachers they're all across the board on their own right. faith journey wide spectrum everybody's a different spot yeah It's perfectly normal. Like so, so we were able to kind of opt out of that, and we'll still kind of work with them a little bit here and there. But so we we wanted to kind of do our own thing. So what uh, Teresa did, she's our director of evangelization. She sent out a survey, just a little questionnaire, to all of our teachers, and asked them, "Where do you think you're at on your faith journey?" And she gave them a map of the thresholds of conversion. So are you at sort of a beginning disciple? Do you feel like you're a commissioned disciple? And so I got to read some of those surveys this week and it just basically said, well, what should we be feeding them? You know, Mm -hmm. it just helped answer that question. Like, Are a lot of our teachers in need of the Holy Spirit? Like a need of conversion? Are they just kind of open and just testing things out? Or did they like, no, we want to know more about natural family planning or we want to know about the the moral life of the church. And it was like it's by 50-50 where like many are just kind of open. I I want to know more, but I'm not, you know, they just need that invitation to something deeper. But I wouldn't say they're hungry for it. So anyway, I just thought it was this cool example, like right here, tangible form of we took their temperature of where they were at. Even though it is hard to self-diagnose, at least she gave them a map. So this helps us plan how we're going to do formation for our teachers.
1: Yeah, that's huge, right? You've got this awareness of the process of evangelization, the, the kind of typical growth patterns, everyone's individual and you're like, well, gosh, if we're going to serve people, let's at, at least as best we can, let's try and tailor what we offer to where they're at in the journey. That's a great summary. I mean, that's kind of the rationale of why you wanna have a clear path and lay out steps for people that are clear and doable. I
2: find it really helpful to think about the difference between ignorance and apathy. Hmm. Sometimes people, we, we think that they just have an ignorance about the teachings of the faith. We think that they just don't know what the church teaches. And so we respond by trying to tell them what the church teaches, when in reality, it's an apathy problem. They just don't care. They just don't see how the church is relevant to their life. And that's, that's what we talked about in our conversion engine episode It's addressing the, the apathy question is helping people to experience an encounter with Jesus. And like you were saying in the story that you shared, Father, when someone has an encounter with Jesus, they want to read the whole catechism. They want to discover who this person is. The apathy is gone. It's just an ignorance that remains and they're hungry to fill that.
1: Wow. That's, that's fantastic.
0: And this step is about discipleship formation. That's what we're talking about today. Right. So it's formation for disciples. People who are even if they're a beginning disciple, it's really somebody who's made a decision. I think yeah. that's the kind of the cutoff line, right? Somebody I've made a decision to follow Jesus.
1: Yes. And it's confusing. It is a really difficult time. Again, to those who are our catechists, our teachers, all of our pastors, listeners parents, when you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to form someone as a disciple and you're starting to get a sneaking suspicion, wait, they don't want this. They're not really a disciple. I mean, you're not alone. It's actually a very confusing time where there are people who would claim the name Christian, who would claim the name Catholic, yet seemingly in their heart, there's not just unanswered questions, there's apathy. There's no desire. The fundamental question where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? That is still unanswered. And gosh, the richness of our culture and the rhythms and routines can occasionally be an obstacle because people can find themselves going through the motions and not having quite answered the question, who do I say that he is? Do I
0: trust him? And maybe another example. So last night I was doing marriage prep common experience in the parish. Not as common as it used to be, but people are still getting married. (laughs) And so the really beautiful question that the bride asked is, I don't know if I really understand this whole natural family planning thing. Like I know my future spouse kind of wants it because I used to be his high school teacher and I taught theology of the body. And so he he,
1: he kind of knows why he would want to do it. See how you worked in that little like self shout out there. Nicely done. I did. (laughs) He's... But I,
0: I'm actually surprised. I, I said to him, like, you didn't think it was such a cool idea when you were in high school. You guys all rejected everything I said. <laughs> but for whatever reason, there's something this hard. is like, I want our love to be pure and good and open to life. And he's like, I think that's the right thing to do. But even he would probably still need a, a conversion. So so I'm explaining the best I can about, you know, w- what's the church's rationale for an openness to life? You know, mm-hmm. I know all the catechesis. And, and quite honestly, it probably makes good sense. But he can still see her kind of struggling, but she's curious. She's at the curious stage. Tell me more. And what's going to be most effective is not my rationale for why Mm -hmm. you should be open to life. It's going to be because at the end of class or our time together, I said, okay, now it's your time to pray. That's kind of part of it is just to teach them how to pray, but really to have an encounter first. And so their homework was to uh, pray together tonight or last night. And I said, you guys eat, right? You guys eat every day, don't you? You guys eat together. Of course, they live together, like a lot of our marriage prep people. Mm-hmm. So I just have to accept that. And, but I said, you guys eat together. Why don't you guys just, since you eat, that's a good reminder, you should pray. So tonight, I just want you to imagine that God is right there in front of you. And you're going to talk to him out loud. This religion thing is really about a relationship. And he's right there with you. And here's a father who loves you so much. Like he sent his son so you could be free. So you wouldn't have to be departed from your family that you would be full of joy. Like his son died for you because he loves you so much. Like that's a father who loves you and he just wants to be with you. And I know you maybe have a little shame about your life and where you're at and you're both Catholic, but you know, you're living together. And, and, And like, I love you. The father loves you. Just talk to him. And so I think more important than the catechesis I gave them on, openness to life is what will happen when they start talking to God and they begin to realize that God's been talking to them. Amen.
2: That's right on father. I love how that story ties together. Some things that Jim was saying too, that sometimes we, we can presume where someone is. Sometimes we presume that they're ready for catechesis, but always going back to preaching the gospel. I love what Pope Francis says in the joy of the gospel that on the lips of the catechist, the first proclamation must ring out again and again. Jesus loves you. He gave Mm -hmm. his life to save you. And now he's at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. That's the message that has to ring out again and again. Every time we're catechizing someone, when I was leading RCIA at uh, St. Patrick's in Gretna, that's the challenge. All these doctrines of the church that we're trying to help people to understand They all have to be rooted back in the basic gospel message of God's love for us.
1: That's fantastic. As I'm listening to the two of you talk, two thoughts are kind of welling up in me. One is formation of disciples is actually, I think, a, a real strength of the church right now. I would say, you know, I think we're not afraid to be honest about the areas that I think we're struggling as a church but this is one of the areas that we're really kind of nailing it. There's a lot of quality resources. There's a lot of amazing people who are gifted as teachers, catechists, who give themselves. The challenge is, is, oftentimes this gift falls on deaf ears and isn't received because we're trying to form people who aren't yet disciples. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about that, but I think to many of us, those who are kind of still still here in the church, those who remain, these are the things that we love and cherish. They're often kind of the heart of parish programming. Andy, could you give us some examples? What are examples of discipleship formation?
2: Bible studies are one example. And you know, Bible studies can take many different forms, but really they they should not be about just conveying information as much as they are about transformation. Right. When we're forming disciples. We're trying to help people deepen their relationship with God. And so that always has to be the foundation, the current that's driving everything. And that it doesn't end there either. It doesn't end with knowledge, but it, it flows into mission. I love what the, the general directory, catechesis says, because it's very s- simple and concise. It says, catechesis forms believers for mission. And that's what we're mm-hmm. talking about. Catechesis forms believers for mission and so whenever we're leading a bible study we have to have that that outward focus how is the lord calling us to those that he has a heart for that he desires to show love and mercy to that's different from uh, a model that just puts in uh, a dvd and we watch a, a video then we have a nice discussion and we go home mm-hmm. right it's something that calls us to more
1: Wow. I love that quote, Andy, because I think that's a bridge to our next step on the clear path. What are some other examples? Because I, I hear you're talking about it's transformational, there's a communal aspect. What are some other examples that people might see and experience in their parish of what discipleship formation is? Right. So we talked
2: about Bible studies, which are usually focused more on intellectual formation. Jeff Cavins. Bible timeline, or there's plenty of resources on forum.org.
1: There's enough resources to watch until Jesus comes back. That's right. But really, I think
2: most basically just going deeper in prayer, mm. right? Prayer is, is really foundational. That's how we encounter Jesus on a daily basis, how he speaks to us, how he communicates himself to us. So it's really the heart of discipleship formation is, is helping people to, to hear the voice of the Lord in prayer and to respond.
0: Yeah. And I think the if I could make a comment about the the Bible studies or any of these form.org, whatever stuff you're offering in your parish, I think many of us get frustrated who work in church world. Like how come it's the same 30 or 90 people that show up for everything. Mm -hmm. So in my two parishes, we have pre COVID, we had 1100 people attending mass and you can pretty much guarantee if you're going to put on a Bible study. In fact, father Frank's been putting on a Bible study since last Lent. And I think maybe it peaked at 70 people, which is pretty cool. And that's just for St. Thomas More. And so they would have like maybe 700 people attend Mass. So you have 90 people, 700 are kind of committed to Mass. But you also have 2,500 people who are really registered members. And you think, the people who are really hungry, they want to go deeper with the Lord. It's probably right around 5% of your parish, maybe. I'm not a mathematician. That's why I was not hired... You didn't ask me to come here to do math. But you know what I mean? Like Again, it's good that we offer these things, but don't be frustrated by the fact that you get small numbers. I'm really encouraged by something Jody Meyer said in our Alpha Nebraska episode, and I keep saying it to myself and to others on my team. It's going to be one by one, group by group, encounter with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Mm -hmm. you're going to see those Bible study numbers go up because people want more i mean form.org is expensive it's maybe mm-hmm. maybe for some of those big suburban parishes it's not but midtown parishes I mean, the only reason we have is because of an anonymous generous donor and it's two thousand bucks more than likely we'll have a hundred people who actually become subscribers the return on your investment there is very low now it's good that we have it but i can have the fanciest advertising and marketing encouragement for people. Get on Formed. It's absolutely free. It's, it's the Catholic Netflix, right? You've already yeah. watched the Tiger series, right? Over and over, right? How many times? Everybody's tired of Disney Plus by now, right? Haven't you seen all the Star Wars? Try these new episodes on Formed. Nobody's going there. Yeah. I mean, some people are, and it's good that we, we can offer it. But again, keeping in mind, we're moving people along a path we want to make sure we don't skip a step on the path and Uh discipleship is absolutely important we're really good at it but we're also not really good at um, making sure that people are ready for it
2: i think too when catechesis is disconnected on the other side and it's disconnected from mission then it's it's aimless it has no purpose you know when people feel a sense of mission and they actually go out and try to evangelize They realize their need to be formed.
1: Oh, yeah. So, Andy, drop that quote again from the uh, general directory, because I think that's our transition as we move into missionary initiative. That is the link of how discipleship formation becomes missionary initiative, our kind of final step in the clear path.
2: Yeah, so the directory says, catechesis forms believers for mission.
1: Drop the mic. Actually, don't because the good people, the Archdiocese of Omaha paid for that microphone. So, okay, so give us a give us kind of a definition here. What is missionary initiative? What is it? What are some kind of characteristics? A
2: yeah, missionary initiative is about seeking the lost, right? This is the mission of Jesus. He came to seek and to save what was lost. And so it's a participation in, in that very mission of Jesus, the reason that he came. So it's about going out to others. Our faith is not just me and Jesus kind of, model, but we're called, we're sent to others to propose the gospel and to to invite them to the life that Jesus desires to give them.
1: Okay, so what's all involved?
2: So this really this is flowing from the lay vocation, right? So that all of the laity, well everyone by their baptism, right, are called to be missionary disciples. We're called to Mm -hmm. um, to give of ourselves to participate in this universal mission.
1: So this is the time then where people are equipped for mission as parents, let's say, as how, how do I witness to my coworkers? How do I engage my neighbors? Like this is where people are kind of discovering that the place that the Lord has called them to labor in the vineyard. Is that right?
2: Yeah. And some of the documents from Vatican II talk about a need specifically for the laity because they're called to the secular world to be 11 in the secular world. They need to be especially trained and formed in dialogue with non-believers. That has to be an mm. explicit part of their training.
1: Well, and that's huge because that's, that's being written in the 60s in Vatican II. I mean, I wasn't alive in the 60s, just for reference. Some of our listeners were. God bless you for that. So uh, let me know if I'm wrong about this. But I think the culture was more conducive to a Christian entering and conversing in the, the 60s. And now the language and cultural divide. Even more, our people need to be formed and equipped for cultural dialogue. Not that it's a lengthy or an exhaustive formation, but being a Christian changes you. Being a member of the Catholic Church changes you. You get a language and a culture, and you sometimes need a little retooling to remember how to engage those who have not been immersed, literally baptized into that world. We have our own Christian jargon.
2: Yeah, and you know, of course, we need to be formed in our ability to witness to the gospel right? by our way of life, by acts of mercy, but also by our ability to preach the gospel, to preach the basic message of Jesus.
1: Explicit proclamation. I love the way Pope Francis talks about in Evangelii Gaudium that everyone is called to a sort of everyday preaching, he says. Yeah. So, Andy, what else is involved? What are other things that are happening in this missionary initiative? Particularly, let's say, if if you are a leader, if you are a parent, you're trying to help your children realize their missionary vocation, if you're a youth minister, a pastor, let's say, like, what are the things that you're doing as a minister to the ministers? Or if you're trying to equip people to be missionary disciples, what are some of the things you're doing in missionary initiative?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing as a, as a leader is to pray that the Lord sends out laborers into his harvest, right? This is something that mm-hmm. the Lord wants to do, and it's really his work, so that's where it starts. As a leader, praying together and helping raise the eyes of our parish beyond our own boundaries, beyond our own walls, can start to, I think, inflame the hearts of our parishioners that have been following Jesus for a long time but haven't ever realized that they have a call to mission,
1: mm-hmm. I want to give a, a shout out to St. John the Baptist in Constance. And I think Fordyce has it too. And I think Menominee up in Cedar County, Nebraska, as you exit those beautiful little country churches, there's a little sign on the steps that says, you are now entering mission territory, which I love. It's just just a, a great little visual reminder of like, okay, now we're going to work as we exit the church. Now, I am, now I'm, I'm putting on my, my missionary hat. Even if that's also a John Deere hat, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> I, I, uh, I'll take it another notch for you, another another step here. Ooh, here we go. There's another church here in town, Christ Community Church. Uh, brothers and sisters, as Vatican II says, not only do they say you go on mission, they actually describe the mission for them. When you leave the parking lot, it says, "Reach one more." Is that awesome?
1: Wow. I love that. Say that again.
0: Reach. One more. Everybody leaving that parking lot is in tune with the mission of the church. Reach one more. It like, yeah. gives me goosebumps. Like, yeah, that's I it, that. baby.
1: Yeah. And it's simple and accessible. We're not expecting you to save the world between now and next Sunday, but could you, have, could you have one conversation?
0: Yeah. And just invite one person to church. Now, obviously, they have a different style of worship there. So it's a little bit easier to, to invite people. Christ Community Church, because those are seeker events. Mm-hmm. You know, they, their churches are set up to evangelize, to reach one more. They have a very clear path and a very easy on-ramp onto that path, and that's through their worship service. So it's a little bit different as Catholics. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's it like it's a little bit clearer for somebody at Christ Community Church. Am I going to invite somebody to my Catholic Mass? Maybe.
1: Well, I, I know the, the, I was blessed to be a pilgrim in Rome intentionally so, for the Synod on the New Evangelization. And the Synod discussed, like, okay, the Mass is, by its very nature, it's kind of an insider's event. It's not particularly hospitable for those who are not Christian, who are seeking. Not that we can't and shouldn't be friendly, but, you know, it is for the initiated. And so there's this discussion, like, gosh, you know, if that's true of the Mass— what needs to precede it? And there were all sorts of conversations that didn't develop as much as I would like, but I think that's the experience that we sometimes have as Catholics. It's like, gosh, what do I bring them to? And the, you know, the mass isn't quite right. Andy, do you want to weigh in on this? We're at, We're down a fun tangent here. Yeah, I think
2: the liturgy requires a knowledge of Scripture. When we're proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the other readings, it's just a snippet. It presumes that you're already familiar, and it's really— supposed to be kind of a reminder, jog your memory, you know, this is where we're at in scripture today. And even just some of the language of the mass, behold the lamb of God. What does a lamb have to do with this? Right? If you don't, if you're not Christian, like, what is, what does that even mean?
0: I thought it was about an Easter bunny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So it it is, the mass is inherently inhospitable for outsiders.
1: I mean, without going back and redoing episode number 19 on conversion engines, but this is why conversion engines tend to take on the character that they do. They're often not in a church facility, or if they are, uh, it's a very casual setting. They're very open for questions. Hospitality is central to fruitful conversion engines because you're intentionally not assuming all of the inside language and culture. And that's that's why I think there's been such a flowering of efforts, whether it be a retreat, whether it be a small group Bible study in a home that's intentionally really hospitable and, and welcoming uh, to new folks, or if it's, again, something more formal like an Alpha or a Christ life. I, th- I think that's the reason those things have grown so dramatically in Catholic contexts, is because— we haven't typically had those, and we're, at least in the United States, we're an immigrant church. People showed up on our shores, already Catholic, already disciples, desirous of the sacraments and pastoral care, and, and uh, those of us in the New World, we're learning how to evangelize. We're learning how to engage a uh, culture that doesn't share some of the language and assumptions that we have as disciples Okay, well, that was fun. Let's talk about examples. What, Andy, give us some examples of missionary initiative. Like what does this concretely look like?
2: I think one example that we've been working on in the archdiocese and training leaders from different parishes how to do is the Lenten Small Group Initiative, which is a six-week Lectio Divina experience that happens during Lent. We train leaders to lead a small group Bible study using Lexio Divina, and they just get released in their parishes. They have to pray and discern who is the Lord calling them to. We call it a missionary prayer chart. They just think about the people that God has already placed in their lives, the people that they work with, the people in their family, their neighbors. Mm -hmm. Who is God giving them his heart for? They write their names down. They pray for them every week. And then they listen for opportunities to make an invitation to those people to a a six-week lent in small group bible study and that's just a little taste mm. of going on mission
1: andy i happen to be partial to this example what's the genius of this why is that such an effective way to get people started in missionary initiative
2: i think it's very simple it also feels more natural for them they're people that are already used to prayer used to praying with scripture it's a short-term commitment you know, it's only six weeks. We're not asking you to do this for forever, but this is a season. We're mm-hmm. asking you to be particularly committed.
0: I had an experience or just uh, an insight when I was skiing with Father Cook. And we talked about like, you need people who can, who not how to ski the blacks, but also know how to help people who are on the bunny hill. Mm-hmm. And that's what the missionary initiative is. You know, look in your heart, see who the Lord is presenting to you, who's kind of struggling on the bunny hill. And who would yeah. I invite to maybe take another step to the green hill? Yeah. I think another
2: way that the Lenten small group initiative makes it easy for people to begin starting mission is they're just looking at their sphere of influence, right? They're looking at the people that they already have relationships with people that they're already used to talking to on a regular mm-hmm. basis. They already have a friendship with. And so it's much easier to look for a natural way to turn that conversation Toward Jesus.
1: Right. They've already got a group of friends. They're just inviting one more friend along. Jesus. Yeah. And it doesn't
0: have to be tied into the small group, Lenten small group initiative. Cause I was thinking about it this year with Alpha and we were a little bit, you know, I'm new and we're a little bit too far uh, into it as far as the planning was going, but it would be a fun homily series, maybe two or three where you just talked about what does it mean to be a missionary, especially now that people are coming Mm -hmm. They don't have to come (laughs) and they're committed. You think most of those people are showing up on Sundays are committed disciples and maybe they don't feel commissioned, but they are committed. So they just need that little push to say like, now your job is to bring more people back. And the thought crossed my mind. I'm like, I should have really set out in this homily series. who, Who are the five people you want to invite to Alpha? Who are the five people you think might be struggling and might need a deeper relationship with Jesus? They just need the healing, love, and mercy of Jesus in their lives. Let's pray about that for a couple of weeks, and then if you're ready, and if God presents the opportunity, make the ask. You really set the parish up for mission by first of all saying, "This is our mission: reach more people." But then also, like, and this is how you do it: you don't mm-hmm. have to be a theologian. You don't have to. It is nice to be equipped, but I, I, that's where I think Alpha or Discovering Christ or any of these programs that we have. They equip people just automatically of, oh, this is how you might dialogue with somebody who's not Christian or just really maybe even hostile to the faith.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because I know many who've been serving within the church, a pastor or youth minister, you feel a love for the lost. You know, Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. And yet there's this very tangible love of the kids, the students, the adults, the people that are coming, my parishioners, and how do I bring those two together? And this is how you bring them together, right? Like part of the job uh, of those of us who are serving and joining in the kind of pastoring responsibility of a church our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and they're the ones who go to their neighbors and their friends and their fallen away loved ones and on and on and on, their coworkers. They're the ones who reach those who are on the periphery, but they need that commissioning. They need that equipping, that reminder to bring people with them.
0: Yeah. So I think one of the jobs of the pastor and his leadership team is to cast the vision or the cast the mission. You have to just overstate why are we here? What are we about? And so I keep saying in my communications, the local church, our parish, is the hope of the world. Like our yeah. little church here is going to transform this world by helping people encounter Jesus and encounter community. We can do it. Like we can change this whole neighborhood. And it's not about numbers. And so we can get more people in church. And you know, that should be sort of a side benefit of it. But it's, it's really because we love people. I love my neighbor. And I I remember Father Dan, Andrews just saying at our clergy conference, uh, we were really talking about going after the lost. And and he just brought up a really difficult challenge. It's like, it's a question of, do I really love my neighbor or not? Do we really Mm -hmm. love them? Or are we kind of satisfied with where we're at? And I'm like, dang, (laughs) because I can get excited about like, oh, evangelization. And then I'm like, but it really comes down to, do I love people like Jesus loves them? What do Christians look like? they really love yeah. they love me enough
1: they love to, yeah. to invite me yeah. to
0: be in relationship with me and that's the mission of the church to 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 be god's love in the world
1: you know guys we're getting close here to wrapping up but i am aware that there is a an essential part of kind of equipping people for mission or initiative that we have not talked about yet andy can you talk a little bit about helping people discern their gifts, their charism, discerning the voice of the Lord for where he is asking them to serve. Because I think we're imagining, I think, a diversity of callings that as, as people discover their calling as a missionary disciple, some are going to be called you know, to be the apostle to their neighborhood, and some are going to be called for a, a particular season as parents to their families. Others are going to have a very particular gifting and calling to the corporal works of mercy to embody Jesus's love and physical healing and the alleviation of material poverty as a bridge to the gospel. Andy, how do people discern that where the Lord's calling them and how the spirit has himself equipped them?
2: Yeah, I think it's exciting that the Holy spirit has already gifted his church for mission. That is when anyone's been baptized, the Holy spirit has poured out charisms for the church into their hearts. But A lot of times those charisms, you know, the grace that God desires to give is just latent because people haven't encountered Jesus and entered into a relationship with him. The charisms begin to flourish once people become disciples. And as they Mm. continue to grow in discipleship, the charisms get stronger and become more manifest. And so that's why it's so essential to help people learn how to pray and learn how to enter this dialogue with the Lord so that they can discover the charisms that they've been gifted for the mission that God has Hmm. already
1: called them to. Yeah, they're there. They're just latent and unactivated.
2: Yeah. And the charisms are really best discerned in community. The charisms are for Mm. the building up of the body of Christ. And a lot of times they can only be, I mean, really, they can only be recognized in community. Otherwise, it's just your natural experience. The charisms are a minority experience in the sense that, You don't experience life any differently than the way that God works through you, but God works differently through other people, and they notice that God does something different through you than he does through me. And so it's so important for people to be gathered together into those teams where they're praying together, they're discerning, they're asking the Lord, who are you sending us to? Who are you calling us to evangelize? And who is most equipped among us to meet that need?
1: Andy, I know. I think that's been, I think, a joy of our friendship and our uh, the gift of us being able to work together. Father, you and I as as well. You know, we've used natural tools, if if you will, like the Gallup Strengths Finder assessment, and then other tools like the Called and Gifted workshop from the Catherine O'Siena Institute. And so we'll develop a language. You know, the Gallup themes. Tend to show up a lot on this podcast. Father's futuristic, his ability to kind of peer into the future and cast a vision. Andy's analytical, my woo that sometimes shows up, or sometimes in annoying fashion. My positivity. We'll have a meeting, and you know people won't trust me. It's like, how was that meeting? It was great. It's like that's just his positivity talking. Ask more questions. Uh, but I think we have experienced that working together, and with so many, you know, so many others here in the Curia, where man, my lack is more than provided for in the other members of the body that God has gifted me with. And this mission and, and task is hugely lightened as we have co-laborers with different gifts and charisms. It's
0: uh, being able to distinguish between those natural gifts and strengths that, that Gallup mm-hmm. helps identify and then those supernatural. They are different. I think yeah. it's important for us to yeah. say that charisms are supernatural. Like they're just not natural. Like they kind of go out of what we normally experience yeah. as, as human beings. So, how I discern that, people tell me, but I'll say, or experience it and then say, like, well, I didn't really, that's not really me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: I don't really do that naturally very well. Uh, or like, so like the gift of preaching, because I do think that's the Holy Spirit. There might be some natural gifts involved in that. Belief and futuristic and I can cast a vision, but sometimes there are moments in preaching where it's just like this morning, like it was something out of my nature where it was just Mm -hmm. coming out and hitting people. I mean, I, I was, I got a note today, I got people coming after mass, like, father, we need to record what you're saying. And I'm like, huh, what? Like, yeah, I mean, it was, so it's yeah. supposed to be super natural, and, uh, and, and it does sometimes require somebody to kind of say, like, do you know you just did? Like, no, not really.
1: Yeah, that's part of how you discern it, because it's that feedback and, and the clarity that God just did something bigger than me, bigger than natural.
0: Yeah. And, and Cherry Waddell has a book on the fruits of discernment, I think it's called.
1: Yeah. Well, we can link to it in the in the show notes fantastic resource and honestly you talked about this earlier father i think you referenced it the clear path of discipleship we tend to draw it out linearly but you could also think of it as a loop or as a circle and and it is it's the it's the equipping of disciples for their missionary initiative that's what tends to spur the new folks coming in and and experiencing conversion and you really can kind of see it as a loop And investing and equipping and raising up new leaders, helping them discover their charisms, entering into that kind of discernment process, having, you know, a good pastor or a mature Christian leader guide them in that is an irreplaceable part, sadly all too rare, an irreplaceable part of our parishes fully functioning and developing a a clear path of discipleship.
2: I think it's really important to remember this and and really to say it explicitly that missionary disciples make missionary disciples. A lot of times we tend to focus too much on programs or think that there's some kind of silver bullet solution, but it's only people that have been already transformed by the Lord and who have surrendered themselves to what the Lord desires to do in their life that are able to help others to experience that same thing.
1: So this is all really good stuff. We've been talking just really just about like what is a clear path, trying to talk about characteristics of each, each part of the path. It, it takes more than two weeks to build a clear path in a parish, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It takes, I mean, it could take years to, to have a clear path formed in your parish. And it, it really is a, a kind of continual discernment to trying to assess what are the individual needs of the people that, that God has placed in this parish, because the needs are always changing as people continue to grow or as new people are evangelized and come into your parish or, uh, or move away from the parish. So it's in that way, it's a continual discernment, but it really, it's really helpful to make some small attempts, try some things and, and kind of see what the Lord is blessing and where the grace is, where the open doors are, and then continue to invest in the places where you're seeing fruit.
1: If you're building a clear path, what start with a dirt road, then get a black top and then a super highway. Yeah. You know, you guys can those who are listening you can tell that we love this. We're kind of nerdy and geeking out about this. That process of assessing and discerning where we're at and beginning to build and then the 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 process of really communicating a clear path and helping align the ministries and programs of a parish to that. That's what we do. We love to help guide parishes through that process or a particular ministry. I mean, it's not just a parish. I mean, just a, a youth ministry, religious ed program, adult formation. If you're interested in this, give us a call, email us on the blog, uh, equip.archomaha.org. We'd love to, to talk and help you through these things.
0: And, and I'll just say one thing, just my final comment would be, I've read the books. I've mm-hmm. been aware of The Clear Path for a long time, for yeah. four or five years. And now I'm doing it here in a parish, two parishes, and you know, a couple months in. And and I'll just say, like, uh, just because I I kind of know how to do it, and I can give up do a podcast on it and and rant, you mm-hmm. know, poetically about it. Um, it's hard, and I'm still kind of confused about. Ah, I'm not sure what to do here. So I just I think for those listening who are on parish staffs or leadership teams or pastors, just because we have this idea doesn't mean that it's really easy to, to implement and it does take time to uh, a lot of discernment and really shared leadership. So, you know, when you want to just figure this out on your own, you'd want to really get some coaching. You'd really want to do as much study and prayer about it, but primarily it just come back. What's the mission to go and reach more and make disciples the difference between a growing church and a dying church is its focus. And if you're going to focus on the insiders, make sure you focus them on the missionary aspect of it. The missionary aspect of going after the lost. So the only way your church, our churches are going to grow is if we're really focused on those who are not with us yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, easy for me to say really hard for me to do. And so I just want to put that out there for, for folks who might feel frustrated after hearing all this. So What am I supposed
1: to do? And they make it sound so easy. And like, it's not. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for saying that father.
0: You're welcome. It's easy for me to say I'm a failure and I stink and I'm no good at this.
1: (laughs) Well, you'll always have an unpaid job on the podcast. You can always talk about it on the podcast though. Andy, do you want to close us out? Any last words here?
0: I think just remembering to discern, to pray,
2: right? This is, this is the Lord's work. The Lord is the protagonist of the new evangelization. He desires this far more than we do. He has a plan that's far better than our plan. And the more we can gather leaders together and pray and discern what his will is for our parish, the better off we're going to be.
1: Thank you, gentlemen, both of you. Great conversation as usual. Andy, you gave us a uh, little transition here. I just want to shout out some good news. You talk about gathering leaders together. The Archbishop's Dinner for Education this year is uh, going to be online. Um, I don't know why they're doing it online. I'm not sure. Oh, wait, there's a pandemic. Pandemic, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the table decorations are really... They we,
0: couldn't decide. Yeah, on can we
1: say? Yeah, we couldn't. It was a, there was a big fight back and forth. And anyway, uh, no, it's not about the table decorations. To uh, respect some of the limitations that we have for the pandemic, if you would like to join, everybody can come virtually. It's going to be Thursday, September twenty fourth, seven p.m. There's going to be an honoring of our educators. This year, I mean, we've got folks from Creighton, Duchenne, Christ the King, St. Bonaventure's in Columbus, Ron Colley, Norfolk High, Sacred Heart, uh, All Saints here in Omaha. All over the place, teachers from all across the Archdiocese, administrators, a few are being honored. The event is going to continue to raise money for low-income students to be able to attend our school. It's going to be streamed, and so if you would like to come, all the details, just visit archomaha.org slash dinner2020. That's archomaha.org slash dinner2020. There you can find the pictures and list of our honorees, and you can join the event. Thanks for being with us, everybody. God bless.